That was me. That was me. <laughs> you thought there was a flying grasshopper in here? Oh, tell me more about it. Yeah, because we usually let flying grasshoppers just hang out in this room. Uh, so, hey, if you have your Bibles, sorry you had to witness that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open them up uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 22. Um, I forgot to mention this in the 48,000 uh, announcements I gave earlier. Uh, today is graduation day, uh, and so uh, your kid may be in a different room than what they were in last week. Uh, and so uh, everybody kind of moves up. And so for the first time ever, Barrick is now stuck listening to me. Um, all those stories I've told you about him in the past, uh, please let's keep that between us. And so, uh, but... We are in the 22nd chapter of Matthew now. Uh, it took us three weeks to get, or actually five weeks to get us through the 21st chapter. Uh, and so we are in this series uh, that we're calling uh, Three Signs Plus Three Parables Plus Three Questions Equal One Jesus because in these two chapters, this is, that's the exact progression. Uh, there is no real like deep meaning behind it uh, because that's exactly what we have seen. We've, we've already explored... Three signs that Jesus performs to help us see Him more clearly as our Savior King, which is uh, important for us. Uh, he enters Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, uh, declaring uh, that He is the Messiah. Uh, he clears out the temple. Uh, he removes the, uh, from what He says, you've made it a den of robbers. Uh, and this is supposed to be a place of prayer. Uh, so He clears out the temple, uh, and then He curses a fig tree. Uh, as a symbol of the the empty spiritual religion of the Jewish leaders, uh, it's and it's this cursing that transitioned us into this discussion for, um, about the fruits that's being produced in our lives uh, that we've had to hopefully you've had to wrestle with as much as I have uh, about God what what fruit is coming out of my life. Uh, because the Bible says that as you walk with the Spirit, there are certain fruits that become very evident. Uh, and if they're not evident, Jesus' uh, take will be, you don't know God. And, and so we've had to ask ourselves about the fruits that are produced in our lives or are really the lack thereof. And, 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 and to make it really easy, here's what we need to understand, that the difference that Jesus makes in our lives has a dramatic effect on how we live our lives. And, and those three signs led us into these the three parables uh, that Jesus teaches uh, the, the, as a series of rebukes directed toward the Jewish leaders. And we've said, uh, it's not fair for us just to, to gather our time around and say, oh man, let's just, uh, let's just look bad on them. Let's, let's say, oh yeah, you get them, Jesus. Uh, what we've done is said, okay, where do we fall in that? Where do we look a lot like these Jewish leaders, and uh, in fact, uh, they are increasingly, it's what we know about the Jewish leaders, they are increasingly jealous, they're increasingly angry uh, with Jesus, and then that they are now, at least Matthew has told us, they're fearful, because the crowd, uh, the crowd is starting to respect Christ, uh, and, and he says, you know, they don't exactly know what to do, and so a few weeks ago for us, uh, the Jewish leaders step into the temple where Jesus is teaching uh, and they, they demand that he give them one good reason 
why he has the right to open his mouth on their turf. Uh, they say it this way. They say, by whose authority are you doing these things? And in response to their churchiness, uh, Jesus will essentially tell the Jewish leaders uh, that the kingdom of God is being taken away from you. Uh, that the privilege you had to lead the people is being removed from you. Uh, and it's given over, it's being given over to a people who are producing the right kind of fruits. And this prediction is an illustration, or this indictment is an illustration, in, is illustrated in this parable we're going to be at uh, in this morning as we talk about just a, a good, regular old wedding celebration filled with cranky invitees, uh, people who murder uh, just for carrying an invitation, right? I mean, that's like sec- practically every wedding you've ever been a part of, right? Uh, there's, if, it, if there's not murder involved, then it's not done right, right? So uh, this is where we go. In fact, the guy's going to be thrown out uh, for being underdressed. Uh, and so that's, that's where we get to see this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, that we get to not only know what you long for us uh, to do with our lives, but that we get to know how much you love us. That we get to see your invitation this morning to feast with you. Not that we have any right or any privilege to do so. So God, we... We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in our confusion this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to me and through me this morning. That we may walk out of here today seeing Jesus more clearly. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so here's here's kind of the plan. Uh, The plan is we're going to walk through this uh, passage together. I'm going to give some color commentating Along the way, very John Madden style, we might say, boom, tough acting, ten acting, uh, here and there. Uh, and then at the end, we're going to come follow up with some three thoughts that I think Jesus is, is giving us about the parable. Because let's remember this about parables. Uh, everyone that is given is given for a purpose. Uh, Jesus isn't just interested in gathering people around and saying, hey, let me tell you a story. What Jesus is saying is, hey, gather around, let me tell you something incredibly important about the heart of the Father. Okay, and so so we'll come back at the end and we'll hit these three points toward the end and we'll hit them quickly. So if you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's never going to stop talking, um, it'll happen real quickly at the end. So so here we go. Chapter 22, verse 1. And again, and again, Jesus spoke to them being uh, the crowd, but more specifically the Jewish leadership, uh, saying this, that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Okay? Here's what I'd like you to do. Where it says to a king, put a triangle over king. And then when it says his son, underline it and then put a cross at the end of it. Okay? That's going to help us understand the way who the characters are in this parable. Okay? The king being God, the God the Father, triune God. Okay? So the king gives a wedding feast for his son, the son indicating uh, Jesus And now, uh, the other two parables that we've been going through these last couple of weeks, they kind of bury the lead, okay? Uh, it's, it's not until the explanation that Jesus starts to refer to uh, the parable as, hey, in case you're wondering, I'm giving you a picture or I'm giving you a snapshot of what the kingdom of God looks like, 
Okay? Now here, he brings it right out uh, at the beginning. He comes right out and he helps us understand the direction of what follows is helping us get a glimpse of what life in the kingdom of God is like. Okay? And he paints an incredibly cool scene. That, that this has been a major part of Jesus' teaching ministry. He comes declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's, that's one of the first things we see Jesus say uh, into, into our story, that the kingdom of God is at hand. He clarifies teaching of the religious leaders that has gone wayward uh, in regards to God's heart for mankind. He wants us to see both God's great love and then God's great demand for His pursuit of His own glory. And so he comes in and he teaches these truths in word pictures. And, uh, and we've seen it explored all throughout our journey through Matthew. Uh, you can go back to Matthew. You don't have to go there. I'll tell you about it. Uh, in Matthew 13, we start to see Jesus explaining what the kingdom of God is like. And he says, it's, it's like a sower who spreads his seed on the ground. And, it, and then he describes these different kind of grounds that the seed falls on. And the effect that that seed has. Uh, he describes it as leaven uh, that is baked in bread. And he says just a small amount makes a, a great difference. He talks about it being a treasure found in a field that when somebody finds the treasure, they go sell everything that they own just to buy the field so that they can hold on to this greater treasure. He says that, that the, tre- the, the kingdom of heaven is, is like a, a pearl at great cost. That uh, 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 I'm sorry, a great pearl where the person again sells everything so that they can have it it's a net that's cast into the sea it's a treasure that is brought out into your home uh in matthew 18 it says that the kingdom of god is like a king who uh who and then it teaches us this this beautiful and this powerful lesson about forgiveness it says the kingdom of god is is about forgiveness and then it comes in matthew 20 and he says it's it's about this landowner who gives, uh, who hires himself out, uh, I'm sorry, who hires some day laborers and he pays them these different wages. And ultimately, uh, the, the thought is that it's all God's. And he is welcome to do whatever with whomever he would choose to do it with. And so um, that word did not come out right. So let's just move ahead. Uh, so, so all of this, all of this is helpful to us since it paints a picture on this side of eternity what God is doing and how precious his movements are in our lives. And so Jesus paints the intent and the scene very clearly here. He says there's a king, there's a son, and there's a wedding feast to celebrate. Okay? There's a king, there's a son, there's a wedding feast to celebrate. Verse 3. And he sent his servants uh, to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. And then you can underline these words. But they would not come. And if you like to write... Uh, in your Bible, you can just write Jewish leadership. So they would not come. Okay, so so here's, I want us to have a proper context around the wedding, right? This isn't uh, the wedding of the co-worker that you tried to avoid, okay? Uh, this isn't the destination wedding of the person you went to third grade with, who you haven't spoken with in 25 years, uh, who all of a sudden sends you an invitation, uh, and you say, well, I don't really want to go to that that wedding. This is this is an invitation from a king to celebrate with him the marriage of his son. Okay, this is a this is a big deal. This this isn't just as we're going to find out an invitation that everybody gets. In fact, there were specific 
people that the king decides to invite. To pass on an invitation like this uh, says a lot about you as a person, but really it says a lot about your affections for your king. Okay, and now, now for instance, there's, there's much said in our current day uh, when a person refuses. Uh, an invitation to the White House. Or, or, or really what we find out is it's not the White House they want to avoid, it's uh, the president they want to dishonor. Uh, and so, uh, and, and I find it really, I was telling Misty this the other day, I was like, I find it really funny um, that, that for winning ball games, uh, you get invitations to uh, the White House. Uh, like, I have, I have been part of the winning team of the uh, White Settlement Men's Rec League Thursday night. Uh, I have won... Thank you. Thank you, Massey. Uh, I have won championships at uh, Clifford Street uh, in, in Monday Night Rec Leagues. Uh, and the White House has never once sent me an invitation to come hang out. Never once. And so, um, but, but, the, but their refusal, uh, and which is typically fairly public, uh, is, is because of their displeasure, again, not of the White House, but of the leadership that's in place. Now, this has happened uh, not just with our current president, but it's happened with, with many presidents, uh, that, that people would refuse an invitation. So, so this isn't a wedding celebration that, that people would try to avoid, but the ones who are, are saying something very significant about their care and their affections for their king. Now, here's what you need to understand. They are in the king's kingdom. So, so he's in charge. And so their refusal of this invitation says, I don't respect or I don't honor you. And so, uh, and this is something that Jesus has been exposing uh, here at Merge, hopefully in our hearts, um, but, but really particularly in the Jewish leadership's hearts. And he's saying, okay, you, you don't honor the king. You don't love the king, because if you would, you would be doing things differently. And so, verse number 4, again, again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So this is a spread, right? He says, this is, hey, I'm not just giving you like, like crackers and juice at this wedding. He says, this is, this is like the equivalent to me of like having Del Frisco's cater your wedding and it wasn't cheap. Right? It's, it's, it's one of those celebrations that, that you don't floss afterwards because you hope in the days to come as the, as the food just drops from your teeth that you're like, mm, take me back to the joy of that moment. Okay? This is, I mean, none of y'all don't floss because of that. Interesting. No? My son, you've betrayed me. Um, but this is, this is like that moment. The king says, listen, listen, I've slaughtered it. I've prepared it. It's ready. You are going to celebrate my son's uh, wedding celebration. Come, it is ready. And then verse 5, but they paid no attention and they went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants treating them shamefully and killed them and murdered right the gospel of luke tells a similar parable with some additional uh, insight the, the one person will look and they say hey i just i just bought a field and i need to go look at it uh person will say i just bought some oxen uh and i want to go look at them another person says i i just got married um so i have no time 
to go to the wedding feast. And, and all of these excuses honestly have the look of valid reasons. But if we're honest, they can wait a couple days. Fields don't all of a sudden just pick up and leave overnight. Oxen don't just get sick and die overnight. Um, weddings don't fall apart in the honeymoon phase, right? Uh, some of you are like, well, I don't know. I don't know. So they've been invited to a feast and all they do is excuse themselves with busyness. I'm too busy. Too busy. I'm too busy. Now let's remember, Jesus isn't telling us this story for the sake of telling us a story. He's painting a picture of the kingdom of heaven and the invitation to feast with the king. And here's, here's as I was studying this week, here's something I wrote out uh, to the side of my Bible. As, as I'm left wondering this, that when the king has invited me to feast with him, what am I using as an excuse to keep from feasting with him? What are my excuses? Well, I have to go to work. Well, I have to go do this. Well, I have to go do that. What, what are my excuses that when God says, hey, I want you to feast with me. I want you to celebrate with me. I want you, I want you to be in the same room with me. What, what are those excuses where I say, ah, not, not now, God. As if he's begging for my attention. What are those things I claim are more important than celebrating the things that God is doing in me, around me, and through me? And now, again, now not everybody gave an excuse. Some just uh, seized the servants, uh, treated them shamefully, and then just decided to kill them, right? Who knew passing out invitations to a wedding could be so dangerous, right? Uh, and, and now, and if you want to talk about ways to get out of a wedding, uh, go ahead, put a murder charge on your life. That's a good way of saying, hey, I'm going to kind of be in, in, I've murdered someone, you know? And so, though, here's what we need to remember, that this is about their disrespect for the king, because if they respected the king, they would have respected the servants. If they respected the king, they would have respected the servants. Verse 7, the king was angry, uh, rightfully so, right? Does anybody say, ah, I think he's kind of overreacting here? No, no, okay. So the king was angry and he sent his troops and he destroyed those murderers and he burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and they gathered all whom they found, both good, I'm sorry, both bad and good. You can underline those words in your Bible. It won't hurt it. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The wedding hall was filled with guests. So let's go back. Verse number 8. But those invited were not worthy. And this is that moment, right? This is the moment where it got really awkward in the room. Not that it hasn't been awkward for the last couple of weeks. But this is that moment where we get to scope back and see what Jesus is speaking about. He's been talking with the Jewish leaders about their unwillingness to receive Jesus as the Messiah and how they judge, uh, how he judges their actions for how they're leading the Jewish church. And, and verse 8 would have been a very stark indictment that would have penetrated them. Because he says, you are not worthy. And they would look and they would say, but we're doing all these religious things. In fact, we are the protectors of God. That's why we don't like you. 
He said, but you're not worthy. You've been invited, but you've proven yourself to not be worthy. And then verse 9 connects us to something that we're going to see uh, when we arrive in chapter 28, I think in the year 2590, um, where, where there's one of the most famous go-therefores in all of the Bible. Uh, the scene is Jesus is about a month after his resurrection. He spent some time with his disciples. And there's this moment where he is about to ascend uh, to the Father. And he comes out in chapter 28 and he says these words. He says, okay, I'm going to give you a charge. He says, go therefore and make disciples among all the nations. That you would baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You would teach them my commandments. And he says, and lo, I'm with you always. And then he ascends. <laughs> Which I think is funny. I'm with you always. He's like, see ya. Uh, but he doesn't because what we know, what we know is he doesn't leave, uh, that he sends the Holy Spirit uh, who is, says it is better that he would go so the Spirit could come. Uh, and so, so, so the king extends these invitations uh, to, to anyone and everyone and anyone and everyone is invited to feast with the kings. This is great news. This is great news for you and me. Okay? I'm just letting you know. This is great news for you and me, because you and I are part of that bad and good group. Okay? Uh, in fact, uh, for our context, this is the Jews and the Gentiles uh, who are the disciples of all nations. That, that, that what we find is that this wedding hall is now filled with guests and it's this motley crew, which should be a picture of the church, of both the good and the bad, both the sinners and the saints. In fact, after all, this is, this is what Jesus is helping us see, that He is the groom and we are the bride. We are the church. So we're invited to feast and we're invited to celebrate our union with Him because we've been rescued and given purpose because of our alliance and our reliance and our care for Him. So, so now, let me, let me just stop here. Because all week long, this has kind of been my joke around the house. Um, I have to give you an honest confession. Okay? Can we, can we be honest here just for a moment and then we can all act like we're not honest anymore? Um, I wish this parable ended at verse 10. Okay? Because 11 through 14 throws me off. Okay? Okay, I'm just being honest with you. Okay? That if, if you're like, oh, well, I expected my pastor to know everything about everything, you found the wrong guy here. Okay? Because, because what is at play here to me are, are two theologies that I know very well. And I don't know how to reconcile them. Okay? Because something is going to happen and you're like, boy, that seems drastic. And I believe that absolutely it's drastic. And I'm just being honest with you. I don't know how to reconcile it. Is that, is that fair? And you're like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, so I don't know if it's fair. Let's just say it's fair. And then as we get going, you're like, this guy's an idiot. You're right, okay? So, so here we go. Verse 11. But when the king... I'm sorry. When the king... Kang! Uh, I, don't, I don't know. That's this... That's Springtown, yeah. And I don't, even, I don't even live there. I've never... I don't even look at that place. Um, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he said... Uh, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Not the king, the man. And then the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. 
For many are called, but few are chosen. Okay? Many are called, few are chosen. And now, now the, the conflicting theologies that I don't understand how to reconcile is both election, uh, where, where God has called the, the few are chosen, the, those who are chosen, and the general call of the gospel. Okay? Because what we're going to find out is that the call, the invitation was for anyone to come in and feast. Okay? Now, we do have to acknowledge that, that the person who was found without the wedding garment has done something wrong. Okay? And I, I'm going to give you my best guess for how that works out. But, but I don't know how to reconcile these two things. Because I believe the gospel is for everyone. But I also believe that in order for God to remain sovereign and in control, He has already chosen those whom He will show His love to. Okay? So I'm just letting you know, as I'm trying to grow up in Christ, these two things mismatch for me. Okay? And so, now, does that change my salvation? I don't believe so. Because I believe that Jesus has died for me. Um, And so, so I don't understand... Uh, this, this, what seems to be a very serious outcome for a guy who is underdressed. Uh, he's not wearing a wedding garment. And, and you have to, so that begs us to ask the question, well, what's the wedding garment, right? Is it this tunic with lace and like pockets full of bird seed? Uh, so when the, when the newlyweds go, you can throw bird seed at them? I don't, I don't think so. I think more than likely this wedding garment is, is typically church clothes, um, not, not our church clothes. Um, where we just are super casual, but like super Baptisty church clothes, um, where you get a suit and you're like, dude, I'm wearing this tomorrow, and and brother Bob, well, he's gonna he's not gonna look as good as me. Uh, those those kind of church clothes. Uh, and so so, if this is the case, then the guest without the wedding garment is is an underdressed attendee. It's kind of like a guy who shows up to a funeral in shorts and flip flops. Um, and the gesture um, would, be, would be offensive. It would be a sign that they don't recognize or they're oblivious to the significance of this invitation and the person who gave it to them. That, that this explanation, um, and I think this would sort of explain the King's Swift action, uh, and it brings us to the point of the parable that, that Jesus has said that the kingdom would be taken away from the Jewish leaders and given to people who are producing fruit. That the wedding feast is an open invitation, but there is a dress code. Uh, And this is one of the things that Jesus has been trying to teach them. Because they've been trying to get into the kingdom of God in all these other directions. And really, what they're trying to do is get into the kingdom of God in this very legalistic or this very religious um, way. action-motivated uh, way. Uh, they say, I'm following all the rules, therefore God has to let me in. Uh, and so it's almost like you've, you've paid the cover charge uh, and, and now the bouncer has to let you get through the door. And Jesus has always come in and He has come in and said, listen, no, no, no. It's going to be through me. So you're allowed in, but you've got to change your clothes. Okay? You can come in, but you can't be wearing your old clothes. You have to dress up in this moment. In fact, Paul will tell us this quite often, um, but, but one is most specifically in Galatians, I believe, where he says, you've got to take off your old clothes and you've got to put on your new clothes, and the new clothes is Jesus. He says, the new clothes is Jesus. And so, so I believe this is why there's such a drastic reaction from the king. He's like, no, no, no. He's not in. He's not the right one. 
Because he doesn't understand that you can't just walk in here. You're invited in, but you can't just walk in here and say, hey, this is me. Take me or leave me. And he says, no, that's not, that's not the way this works. And this works. And, and so, so you got to change your clothes. And I think this is similar to what Jesus is saying, that, that, that many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, again, I'm just being honest with you. These four, four verses, I'm still working through. Uh, I ran out of time. Like I had a deadline, uh, and it was 10.30 this morning, uh, and I didn't meet the deadline. Uh, and I'm like, okay, God, let's just keep working on Let's just keep chewing on uh, what, what you are trying to teach me here. Um, so, but, but I do think there are three points that Jesus gives us when he talks about this parable. Um, that, that number one, that the gates of the kingdom are open wide. The gates of the kingdom are open wide. That, that, that ultimately what this means uh, is there, there was a time when people who were not in the Jewish heritage had no hope. The guy would, did not rescue them. In fact, it says that the gospel was for the Jews first, then the Gentiles. Meaning that there was a time that the Gentiles were apart from God, really with, with no hope. They were, they were pagans. But Jesus changes all of that. In fact, some of the most some of the most beautiful pages in all of the Bible to me is the first like eight to nine, uh, ten, uh, twenty-seven um, chapters in the Book of Acts. Pretty much, this is the whole book, right? That 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 we see this invitation of the gospel go from the small selected group of Jewish people to everyone else. And so, so this is what we get to hear in this, that, that Jesus is helping us understand. He's given us a foreshadow of things yet to come, that salvation is not going to be based on your ethnicity, your income, your education, uh, your popularity, your ministry position, your personality type, your cultural, uh, your uh, whatever word I'm trying to use, forget it, your athletic ability, your attractiveness, thank God, right? That, that for this reason, we, we should be very careful not to assume that there are certain people who don't deserve the gospel and there are certain people that do deserve it. And by the way, anytime you want to play that game, the people that you decided who deserve the gospel look a lot like you. Okay? That, that's a problem. Not just, not just in the church in general. That's a problem here in our church. That, that God has opened this invitation for us to feast with Him. And it's no longer limited to the select few where the servants went out before and said, hey, here's your invitation to come feast with the King. Number two, that though the gates of the kingdom are open wide, the kingdom still has gates and we must enter through them. Okay? You can't, you can't just decide, hey, I'm going to the feast. Um, I'm going to come in through the window. I'm going to the feast. You know, I'm going to just tear out a wall here. I'm going to blow it out. That way I can make a good entrance. No, he says, he says the, the gates are open wide, but you still have to come through the gate. That the kingdom imposes conditions on us. And the first one is that you would come through the gate, right? And we've said that the gate is Jesus. And this is, this is great news for us, right? Because as we put on Christ, we walk through the gate, we put Him on. So when the King sees us, you know what He sees? Not your sin, not your death that you deserve. He sees, your, he sees His Son. And when He sees His Son, He smiles. Because He's already told us, this is my Son, and I'm well pleased in Him. 
I delight in Him. So we go through the gate and we put Him on. And then the conditions follow that as you are wearing the love of Christ, as you are hidden in Christ, right? That's what you are. You are hidden in Christ. So you don't exist anymore. And that's great news. You're like, wait, wait, wait. I'm a pretty special person. Not special enough. Just letting you know. So you are now hidden in Him. And so these fruits start to come out. Paul will tell us in Colossians, which, oh man, I'm just, I'm just, oh. You want to talk about a book that is, is lighting me up right now. Colossians. Paul will say that as you are part of God's chosen ones, you are holy, you are beloved. He says, put on things like compassion and kindness and humility. He says, these are, these are all parts of who Jesus is. That the gate for us is, is Christ. I don't want you to misunderstand that. That the gate is Christ. We don't enter the feast or the celebration without going first through Him. Because as He stands at the gate and we walk through, everything changes. God no longer sees you. He sees Him. He's, he doesn't come in and say, oh, wait, wait, wait. You are severely underdressed for this occasion. Because you now put on the clothes of the sun. And you are part of the family of the king. Then number three, we can start wrapping this up. And I think this is... I think this last point, and I'll just give it to you, that, that the kingdom of God is a feast. Okay? Kingdom of God is a feast. And let me tell you where I think we, we miss this. Because we have that idea, right? We live, if you, are, if you have truth in the gospel, right? If you believe that Jesus has saved you, not only from your fat past, but has rescued you for your future, you hear that and you're like, yes, the kingdom of God is a feast. That one day, when I get to heaven, we're going to feast. We're going to adventure. We're going to be. We're going to have this moment where I get to see the glory of God, uh, not through this this tinted eyes, that, that I get to see Him fully, and I get to celebrate who He is. And so, so we get that idea, and we say that's going to be incredible. I'm going to feast with the King one day. And here's what you need to know: Jesus has said all along that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. So what does that mean? Nobody knows? Okay, I'll tell you. That the feast isn't just for then, it's for now. That, that God celebrates with you now. That God caters now. That God has invited you in to His celebration now. That you don't just have to say, you know, that's going to be incredible. Too many, too many Christians, too many Christians in this world have said, man, that's going to be so great one day. God, please bring your kingdom. Please bring your kingdom. And God has said, my kingdom is here and it's now. And when my son comes, it's going to dominate it all. But as it stands now, you're in it. You're in my movement. Creation proclaims my glory. The circumstances of your lives, 
That's for me. That's for, that's for my splendor. That's for my majesty to see. And this is why, this is why anytime you want to say, boy, that's going to be great one day, and you forget what's available to you today, your temptation will always be to go find today something that is lesser than. Something that is smaller than. Some idol that can you believe will fill you in the short term as you await a feast later. And here's the danger of those idols. They grow. And then one day, the idol starts to be built around you. And if you're not careful, you become the statue and you can't move. Because at our, at our root, all idols is about the worship of ourselves. It's about saying, God, you're not enough for me. You're not capable enough to fulfill me. Therefore, I will seek my own pleasure. I will seek my own glory apart from you. And so this is what we need to understand. That David says that in your presence there is the fullness of joy. In Psalm uh, 16. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. I am full of joy when I am with you. So the kingdom of God is a feast. And I love that. I love this illustration. I love this parable, I should say, that Jesus is teaching us. He says, listen, listen, life with God is so sweet. It's so powerful. It's a celebration. And I'm confused. Anytime we are so bored with God, because the fault is never on Him, it's always on us there. So our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, we want to make a couple things available to you. If you need prayer this morning, we, we long, we long to pray with you. Uh, Mark and, and Colby and Michelle and Kelly, they'll, they'll be up here. They want to pray with you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. We believe that today is that day. That there's no reason to wait any longer. I love you guys. Father, we thank you for your word, for all that it teaches us, we thank you this morning that we've been exposed. We thank you, Father, that, that there are times that I'm very confused by it. Because in that confusion, I'm reminded of how you long for me to draw close to you to make these things very apparent. Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone say.